because you are righteous and holy and made us righteous. Made us the righteousness of Christ. We thank you. My job here this evening is to kind of have an overview of uh, the discussion we had last Sunday, a very interesting topic. Um, I will just give a recap of what I discussed and then uh, we have questions and comments, uh, contributions, uh, you're all welcome to that. And the topic is uh, overcoming infidelity. Another term is sexual immorality in a marriage. And I recall that I mentioned that the Greek word is pornia, which includes all um, sexual sins. So it's not only adultery, but also fornication. Um, also includes um, all kinds of sexual impurities, impurities, pornography, um, emotional sex, you know, you name it, all those things that uh, um, we find ourselves doing or what we were doing before, but now that we are believers, we trust God that we don't do them anymore, amen? Um, I began by looking at the uh, devastating effect, you know, the consequences of this sin in the lives of people. It affects not only the couple, as well as the third person in the Trinity, <laughs> evil Trinity. And it affects a whole number of people. The children, if they are involved, affects friends, uh, relatives. Um, terrible, deep emotional wounds, mental horrors, and even physical death. I believe that is why uh, Apostle Paul, you know, warned us. In fact, he made it a caution. He said, let this sin not even be mentioned amongst us. It should not even be mentioned. I mean, he didn't mean that by, he didn't uh, mean by saying that, that um, it shouldn't be exposed if it is in the church. In fact, in one instance, and this is in the, in the Corinthian church, where uh, it was so open that, um, one of the members was um, sleeping with uh, uh, the stepmother. And Paul said, look, such a person should, should be given a way to the devil for the destruction of the flesh so that the soul might be saved. That is how serious it is. Because it says, a little leaven does what leaveneth the whole lump. So it's something that should not be tolerated amongst the believers. Um, in fact, Paul even said that, that it is one sin that when we commit that sin, that we commit a sin against our own body. Of all the sins, so you're committing a sin against your own body. And this body belongs to, to who? Belongs to God, belongs to Christ. It's not our body. 
he bought this body with his own life. So when we sin against this body, we are sinning directly against the body of Christ. And you'll recall, I think Paul again said, um, that if we sin against the body, that will be destroyed. That will be destroyed. I mean, it's not that God is going to kill you, <laughs> but there are consequences for the sin. My main focus that day was on the root cause of this sin. Indeed, sin in general. And I said the root cause is nothing but sin. Sin in the lives of the people. Um, when we were unbelievers, we had no choice but to sin. Because that is what a sinner does. The nature of an unbeliever is a sinner. Is a sinner. And what does a sinner do? He sins. Or he or she sins. But now that we are believers, now that we are believers, God has dealt with the sin nature. Amen? Amen. He dealt with the sin nature. So you and I are no longer sinners. One of the worst uh, definitions of uh, a believer <laughs> is that, that we are sinners saved by grace. No, we are not sinners. We are not sinners. We are saints who sometimes commit acts of sins. We are saints who sometimes commit acts of sins. I think that should be something that should be clear in our minds, that our nature, what I used to be, what you used to be in your BC days, BC, I mean before Christ, is changed. God took care of the old man, of the old nature. Paul said that we were crucified with him, right? We were crucified with him. And being crucified, we let go of the old nature. The old nature of Paul says, a child of wrath. That's the old nature. A child of wrath. In other words, somebody whose God's target is to, to be angry with. Because God hates sin. God hates sin. God hates sin so much that he sent his son to die because of sin. So that we might be reconciled back unto him. So God has taken care of the seed nature. However, we still have what is called the flesh. We still have the power of sin. Somebody asked me, uh, why didn't did God just do away with the power of sin and the flesh? And my answer was simply, if he had done that, you know, we wouldn't be depending on him. We say, I'm all right, I can do this on my own. And I tell you what, you cannot live this Christian life on your own. You cannot. You cannot live the Christian life. Because Christ, the Christian life is Christ's life. Right. It's not my life. It's not your life. And the only person who can live the Christian life is Christ himself. He's only Christ. And all we have to do is to receive that life and allow him to live that life in and through us. So he lives his life in and through us as we yield unto him. Now, <clears throat> so, we see how the power of sin and then the flesh. 
Now, how does the power of sin work? How does the power of sin work? Now, the power of sin, uh, Paul says, it is in our members. It is in our members. Romans 7, 21 and 23. He says that the power of sin, which is the law of sin, or the principle of sin, it is a power. It is a governing body that pulls us, it drags us to commit acts of sin. Satan uses the power of sin as well as the flesh, and I will define the flesh. He uses that to deceive us and then cause us to now commit his feelings, do his feelings. The power of sin is the one who initiates, he initiates and is the source of all the evil thoughts that penetrate our minds. It is source the initiator as well as the source of all the evil thoughts that penetrate our mind. You know, many Christians have, I have met, you know, they always tell me that they have evil thoughts. Some say, I have evil thoughts. I'm always having evil thoughts. And I say, are you sure you are the one that is the source of those thoughts? Because it says that we have the mind of Christ, right? So who initiates and is the source of those evil thoughts? It is a power of sin. The power of sin is not you and I. It is a force that is in our members. So the power of sin deceives us and wants us and wants us to think and wants us to think that we are the The power of sin. No. <laughs> I thought that was loud enough. The power of sin deceives us and wants us to think that we are the ones that are generating those evil thoughts. And then the moment you agree with that, and then you embrace that thought, and then it becomes yours. The power of sin does not talk to you you know, like if it's part of sin is talking to me, he's not going to say, Stephen, go and do it. I will know immediately that it is not from me. The power of sin says, I am going to do it. Do you see the difference? Go and do it. That's a command. But he tells me, I am going to do it. So that I believe he uses my accent, he uses my tone, so there is no difference between me and the power of sin. And so he deceives me. And once I buy into that thought, I embrace it, then it becomes mine. And what next? We are going, I am going to act it out. But you know what? The power of sin has been defeated. It has a job for the believer because our salvation is complete. Our salvation is complete. God not only took care of the penalty of sin, but he also took care of the power of sin. How did he take care of the penalty of, of sin? Our forgiveness. He says, by the shedding of the blood, we have our forgiveness. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of the blood. Forgiveness means that our sins, sins, in other words, our acts of wrongdoing, 
has been, we have been washed off of those things. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, all those things have been washed off. God does not remember them anymore. I mean, it's not that God has amnesia, but he doesn't use them against us. They're all gone. He doesn't remember them. But there is still the power of sin, which is in our members, that based on our own choice, we can yield to it or not. That it has no power over us. Romans 6, I think 14 says that, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are under grace and not under the law. See, that is not just semantics. That is true. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under grace. Sorry, you are, on, you are not under the law, but under grace. That means that if you are if you are under the law, then sin will have dominion over you. That's why I, I will choose grace every time. Amen. Amen? Amen? So he has taken care of the power of sin. It has no dominion over you. I will only enslave myself if I yield myself to it. But even with that, I still have the power by the Holy Spirit not to yield to the power of sin. The next thing is the, is the flesh. The flesh. I always see it this way, that we have two enemies, internal enemies. We have an outside enemy, the world and Satan. The world and Satan. Outside. Those ones, you know, you can easily tell. But the one inside is a problem. The power of sin and then the flesh. The flesh... I define the flesh as those strategies, those ways, those methods that we have developed. You and I have developed when we were in the world. In fact, we start developing and building up those strategies and those methods the day you are born into this world. So we develop those methods. They, they become habits. They become habits. And then they are locked up in our brains. And these are ways that we have developed to live our lives without Christ. None of us was born a saint. <laughs> we were all born sinners. And so as a sinner, before you became born again, how did you live your life? How did you get your needs met? We live our own lives. You know, uh, a baby... Even an infant, when a baby needs uh, attention, what does a baby do? Christ. Yeah. You know. And you know, even as adults, we are just glorified babies because as adults, we are still trying to get attention. Yes, we are. Hmm? Still trying, we are doing things to get attention. So those habits, you know, by the time you are seven, seven, eight years old, the habits are already there. And you just, be, just manifest them in your adult years. Glorified babies. We still have them. They are still in our brains. Hear me? When you became born again, God did not erase those things that we used to do. We still have memories of all of those things. And then they are locked up in our brains. The enemy will use those things together with the power of sin 
and deceive us and then we will act based on them. As I said, there are strategies we have developed in order to get our needs met apart from Christ. Because we didn't know God then, so we developed all these habits, all these patterns. Using our own resources. You know, we use our own resources, our intellect, we use our IQ, we use our pedigree. Paul, Paul talked about his pedigree. Yeah. He said, I am Hebrew of all Hebrews. You know, Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the third day, concerning the law, perfect. That was Paul's flesh. He used his pedigree. Self-righteous. Self-reliant. You know, we are so strong. Some of us are so strong. You know, we use his self-strength to get our needs met. We use our beauty to get our needs met. We use, uh, you know, uh, we give it a nice name, diplomacy. It simply means deception to get our needs met. We use, we develop, depending on the way you were brought up in your family. Most of these things are formed, like I said, by the time you get to seven years old. And they are based on messages that you have received from your parents, from significant people in your life. If you were growing up in a home where, I mean, they always call you a fool. Now, I've heard some people who say, look, my parents said I was a mistake. I mean, just feel, tell me, you know, the kinds of feelings and the beliefs that that child will have about him or herself. He grows up thinking that I am a mistake. And what does somebody who thinks and believes that he or she is a mistake does? Low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. He's trying to fight that message with low self-esteem. Or you grow up, you grew up in a family where, I mean, everything was provided for you. Everything provided. You lacked nothing. You know, your parents are very rich. If you say, ah, they pump you up with money. You are so intelligent. What kind of flesh do you think this person will develop? Pride. Pride. Self-righteous. Self-discipline. Perfectionism. You name them. These are all fleshly patterns that we have developed to try and get our needs met apart from Christ. Amen? Amen? So Galatians 5 talks about the deeds of the flesh. I'm just trying to... The deeds of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19. It says, but the works of the flesh, in other words, the deeds of the flesh, what the flesh does are this. And he started with... Uh, Sexual sins. Sexual sins. Probably the Galatian church had a lot of that. Because these things do not just come out from the air. Paul began with sexual sins. Sexual immorality. 19. Sexual immorality. 
impurities, fornication, adultery. You see, see that? He started with those. So those were really, really serious things. And then he lists all of them. Uncleanness, all these are related to sexual sins. You know, those dirty talks, those dirty jokes. I mean, if you sit down with some people, some unbelievers, and they are talking, everything ends with sex. Those dirty jokes, lasciviousness, you know, go on. Um, idolatry, having other gods than Christ. Everything. Because sex could be your idol. Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. And he names all of them. And he says, and such things as this. I usually call this the yucky flesh. Yucky. It looks bad, right? It looks bad. You know, a person, a person can manifest many of those there. One person can have all of those. Yeah. One person can manifest that. <laughs> Hatred. I mean, there are people like that. Lasciviousness. You know, witchcraft is just deception, control. That's what uh, witchcraft is. You know, you try to manipulate people in order to control them. And the essence of the flesh is just to control. Either I control my situation or I control myself. And that's the terrible thing because you, you cannot control yourself. It's only God who can control you. It's only God who can fix you. So I call this the yucky flesh. If you grew up in a, in a well-to-do family, they loved you, they poured love on you, they didn't go to church. You, poured it, you had everything that you needed. Your flesh will not be like that. Your flesh will not be like that. Yours will be what? Pride. Self-righteousness. If your parents were, you know, outgoing, you know, they, they gave you a good sense of uh, work, you're probably going to end up with being a workaholic. You know what I mean? Workaholic. I mean, you spend your all you think you just work and work while your family is suffering. I have seen people like that. They're just workaholic. You know, self-discipline. You pride yourself with self-discipline. Self-reliance. Self-independence. You know, you know, independence was declared <laughs> in the garden. <laughs> and then we take on that. Self-independence. I don't depend. Have you, have you heard people who said, I am my own, you know, self-made. That's right. I don't depend on anybody. And that is a lie because nobody lives an independent, you are depending on somebody else. In fact, you came into this world through dependence. Right? So we believe all these lies. And then we pride ourselves with those. Now the enemy is going to use all of those things. And they bring us, cause us to commit acts of sin. Amen? So whether it is, I call that type, you know, the... Um, Great A flesh. You know, people that are workaholics, those are the kinds of people that you like to employ in an office. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to have a workaholic in your office? Huh? He will work his or her tail out. Yes. Wants to impress you. 
if you have a perfectionist in your office, oh my goodness, my love. If you give a letter to a perfectionist to type, you can type that letter like four, five, six times. Because if there is any slight error, he or she has to go back and correct it. Now, the person has this idea that I should be perfect. But is anybody perfect? No. So you live with that understanding that I must be perfect. I must be perfect. I must be perfect. So it's like you are on a, what is this thing called that we have in the gym? A treadmill? And you're going nowhere. Perfectionists are always in conflict with themselves. They are also in conflict with others. They set very high standards for themselves and they are struggling to meet that standard. And as soon as they meet that standard, they raise the bar. So that they're always in conflict with themselves. Perfectionists. And that is flesh. But thank God, God has dealt with the flesh. Like I said, the, our salvation is complete. He has dealt with the flesh. We don't have to yield to the flesh. He says, if we walk by the Spirit, we will do what? We will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We will not. If we walk by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, he says that, that the Spirit lost against the flesh. And as I told you on, on a Sunday, it means that the Spirit is at war with the flesh. And we are not invited to that war. So you have to be careful with that. Because some of us think that it is our fight. It's not your fight. It is the spirit in you that is fighting against the flesh. And all you have to do is to walk by the spirit. Step by step. That walk by the spirit is a military command. It's like saying there is a road now through that road. Do not go before the spirit. Don't lag behind the spirit. Just walk by the spirit, step by step. And if we do that, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Now, I think in Galatians 5, 24, 24, 24, and I'm going to round off soon. Galatians 5, 24. He said, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with all of its desires. Are we in Christ? Yes. Are we in Christ? Yes. You see, that is in the past tense. They have crucified the flesh. When did you and I crucify our flesh? When we died, you see, we died with him. See, we were made to die with Christ. So when we died, the old man, that is, the new man, is no longer subject to the flesh. However, you can bring yourself under its control. And that is your choice. And that is your choice. None of us wants to be a slave. Is there anybody who wants to be a slave? No, we don't want to be slaves. Okay. So, we have been crucified. We crucified, we, cru we crucified the flesh. That means that the flesh has no control over you and I. It has no control. It might scream and shout, but it has no control. However, you, you can choose to yield yourself to the flesh. 
And of course, when you yield to the flesh, then you are going to fulfill its uh, desires. And the last thing I want to touch is um, unmet needs. Unmet needs. You know, we have needs. God created us needy. God created us needy. And he created us needy <laughs> so that we would depend on him to meet those needs. He did not want us to meet those needs by ourselves because we cannot. We have physical needs, the air, water, food, shelter, clothing, those are physical needs. A need is something that we must have to live. We need the air to live. We need water to live. We need food to live. However, there are inner needs that only God can meet. You know, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of his mouth. So there are these inner needs that only he can meet. And uh, give me uh, Ephesians 5.33. Ephesians 5.33. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. That verse gives us an insight into these inner needs. You can bring it up. Yeah. It says, nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife, he's referring to the husbands, right? Let every husband, let every man do what? Love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, see to it, see that she reverences or she respects the husband. So what are two needs that you, that you see there? There is love. There is respect. So what does a woman need? Love. And what does a man need? Respect. And these are inner needs. You see, men and women, we have the same needs. We have the need for love. We have the need for respect. There are other needs. The need for acceptance. The need for significance. The need to be valued. The need to be loved. The need for adequacy. The need for competence. Competence means I can do something. The need for connectedness. The women, you know, you, know, you, you love you know, to be connected. The need for intimacy. So these are all needs. Now, men and women, we have the same needs. However, we prioritize them differently. We prioritize them differently. The number one need for a woman is what? Love. The number one need for a man is what? Respect. In fact, if you respect a man, a man sees respect as love. A woman sees love as respect. So, we need to understand that these, these differences are there when we are dealing with our spouses. A man will do everything to ensure that he is respected. A woman will go all out for love. Now, people have asked me, <coughs> since we are on the issue of sexual immorality, is sex a need? Okay, hold it. Okay, hold it. Hold it. Okay. <laughs> now, um, underlying, underlying sex 
Anyway, before I say that, I saw a girl with um, a T-shirt, a T-shirt, and on the back and the front of the T-shirt was written this statement. I need love, but I can settle for sex. I need love, but I, I can settle for sex. So, what is it need there? Is it sex? It's love. I need intimacy, but I can settle for sex. Underlying sex is actually the need for intimacy. I met a man, this was when I was working in a uh, this place, I've forgotten the name. And he had issues with his wife, you know, uh, adultery. And when I asked him, why did you do it? He said, I just needed somebody to hold me. I just needed somebody to hold me. Intimacy. Intimacy. Underlying sex is intimacy. If you are intimate with somebody, the sex is just the physical manifestation of the intimacy. Hear me. Sex is a physical manifestation of intimacy. And there are so many ways that we can show intimacy. There are some women who just want to be held. There are some that just sit close to them. They are all right. I had uh, another, uh, another couple and uh, they had issues with uh, sex. I think the woman was depriving the man of sex. And then when I asked her why, why that was going on, he said, look, what happens is that as soon as I touch my husband, as soon as my body touches his, and I just want to be close, the man thinks I want sex. And therefore, since most of the time it's not what I want, I just want that closeness. So I stopped touching him. <laughs> Hear me? These are all facts. Therefore, I just stopped touching him. I stopped sitting close. Because the moment I do that, he thinks that is what I want. You see, even if you think sex is a need and it is unmet in your life, can God supply your sex need? Can God supply your need for sex or your desire? Because I call it a desire. Can God supply your desire for sex? Because it says that and my God shall do what? Supply. Supply. All. All of your needs. According to what? His glory. His riches. Not my desires. Not my... Uh, uh, um, uh, what is it? Not my deficit. Not my wife's deficit. But according to his riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. Because this is what I mean, so many complaints are here is, well, like, uh, you know, the couple that had the, uh, uh, you know, the testimony two weeks ago, 
The guy said, because my wife wasn't meeting the needs, I got to go out. So, on met needs, it is important. So, how does God meet those needs in our lives? He says he will meet all of them. Give me Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, please. Verse 8. And we are going to end with that. Is God lying when he says that he will supply all of our needs? If you think sex is a need, can't he supply that? And how does he do that? And how does he do that? And God is what? Able to make what? All grace abound toward you that ye always having what? All sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Can you give me that in the Living Bible, please? The Living Bible. Is it possible? Okay. God is not lying here, you see? He meets those things. Okay. All right. The Living Bible says that it gives you all of those things and surplus so that you can give to others. So that you can give to others. Now, God gives us a wonderful gift. That is a gift of contentment. Contentment. Philippians 4, 13. Philippians 4, 13. The gift of contentment. Philippians 4, 13. Um, okay, start from um, maybe 10. I'm trying to show us how God meets our needs. And even where the needs are unmet, we feel that they are unmet. How does he, how do we overcome those unmet needs so that we don't go and commit acts of sin, especially in this case, uh, sex? He said, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me had flourished even again. Wherein ye were... Can you give me another version? Please? Yeah, another version, please. Can you? Okay. Not that I speak in respect of want. You see, there is a difference between want and need. A need is something that we must have to live. A want... You have a want because there is a lack. In respect of one, for I have learned in whatever state I am, there we to be what? Content. So contentment, you have to learn it. It's in you, but it has to be learned. Continue. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to live in poverty, and I also know how to live in plenty. So when people say poverty is of the devil, and they give all those things, Paul says, I've learned how to live in poverty. I've also learned how to live in 
plenty. Everywhere and in all things, nothing is left out. I am instructed both. Who instructed him? The Holy Spirit. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and do what? Oh, suffer need. Suffer need. The last one, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that person says, I can do all things through the mighty power of God that is infused into my being. So when you have those unmet needs and you think, I am going to die, which is not true. Paul says, I can do what? All things. Even when I'm suffering needs, the needs are not met. And when you walk by the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will begin to manifest in you. Love. Joy. Patience. You know, another word for patience is what? Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Goodness. Kindness. I'm going to be gentle with my wife. I'll be patient with her. I'm going to love her. In fact, all of those aspects are just aspects of love. Because when you love, you are going to have a joyful relationship. When, you're, when, when you love, your relationship will be peaceful. Gentleness. When you love, you'll be faithful. You'll be faithful. When you love, there'll be self-control. Self-control. You see, there is a difference between self-control and self-discipline. How many know that? Hmm? Self-discipline is me generating the power to discipline myself. Self-control is the Holy Spirit controlling me. In fact, self-discipline is one of the fleshly patterns. People that are so self-disciplined, you know, everything has to be this way. Very hard. Very hard on themselves and very hard on others. Self-discipline. You know, they set the alarm by three, they are up by three. Self-discipline. Self-discipline. You know, they tell you, you know, I walk straight, I don't go sideways. And they'll go this way, it's trouble. So, conflict. You know, you go to their house, everything is in order. In fact, they mark it. If you touch it, they will know. Self-discipline. I mean, just imagine living with that kind of a person in the house. And you know what? God has a very funny way of pairing people. Woo! He pairs us. You know, people talk about, I'm looking for compatibility. No, God does not bring compatibility. No, 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 no. In marriage, young people just know that. He pairs the opposite. So that, hear me. So that, so that my flesh, my flesh is going to be, what, what did Paul say about uh, a thorn? My flesh 
will be a thorn to your flesh, and your flesh will be a thorn to my flesh, so that we will toe the line, so that we will come in the middle. That is how God tells people. And he does it with a purpose. Because God wants us to see the futility of our flesh, that it doesn't work. Yes, he wants us to come to the end of ourselves. He wants us to see, what is that term that they use in a financial world when you are broke and you just declare bankruptcy. He wants us to see the bankruptcy of our flesh, that it is not effective. Your diplomacy is not effective. You know why people tell lies? You know why people tell lies? Because deception is a fleshly pattern. They tell lies because there is a, there is a, a need for security. You know, we tell lies in order to protect ourselves. So if my security is threatened, guess what? I'm going to tell the lie to protect myself instead of relying on God. You know why people, why people gossip? Because gossip is one of the fleshly patterns. Hmm? When you gossip, it's like, I am carrying a very important information. <laughs> and in fact, you are so blessed. I did not tell any other person but you. But you. And then your ears will be opened. You say, please go on. Gossip is nothing but control. Control. But if you are led by the Spirit, the moment he or she opens your mouth, shut your ears. Shut your ears and walk away. Gossip. Gossip is a need for control. You know, the old trick said, you will be like God. So if I carry that news, that of all the people in the world, you are the only one that I've chosen to tell you this news. You are so important, brother. Hear me? That's gossip. Amen? But thank you, because God, God has delivered us from that. We are saved by his life. Hear me. Romans 10, no, 5.10 says that we are saved by his life. And you say, ah, I thought we were saved by his death. No, no, no. If Christ had just died and did not resurrect, then we would still be forgiven sinners. But we are saved by his life. His life in us, as we yield to that life, then we can live a victorious Christian life. Amen? All right. Are there questions, contributions? Thank you, Dr. Stephen. I've had something in my mind that I wanted to ask. Check, check. And um, growing up, when we talk about infidelity, growing up 
I know a lot of people can attest to that. With my ex, when I went to my mom and said, oh, mommy, I feel my husband is cheating. She told me, well, that is not a cause for you to leave your husband. Do you know what your daddy did? You know that men are naturally promiscuous by nature. So how do you, coming from a society where you know that it's not even a discussion for you to bring up, oh, my husband is doing this, or, you know, my boyfriend is doing this, or mommy, you know, and everybody's looking at you, I, is there something wrong with you? Please get with the program, even now. How do you fight that? Because that's something that's been, I've actually wanted to let out, but in a society where you talk to some women, they look at you as like, okay, what is wrong with her? Everybody fights their own demons. And now you're saying that with Christ that those people were equally Christians. I mean, they, they say they are Christians, so... They profess, they profess to be. Yeah, they profess to be Christians. Even in churches it happens. Yeah, of course. So? Question. It's open. We have a few minutes to... So the question is, you know, if, if the society, you know, says it is okay, the society says it is okay, so why don't we go on with their program? We either choose to go with the society or we choose to go with God. So, yes, you wanted to say? Have I? Okay. Okay, I've made contribution before I ask my question. I have my own question. That's why. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, does anybody have anything to add to, I mean, I mean as, as a response to that question? Okay, the, the basis of the, this conversation is to help us or help anyone that uh, is affected yeah. to handle the healing process. Yeah. It is not... Uh, to only tell us how, how grievous the sin is. Though it is a, a, a reason, biblical reason, to divorce, but the same God that gave that biblical reason told us that God hates separation. So if we are, if we are his children, we will not do what he hates. One of the things he hates is, is, is separation. So and and the, the teaching, all that has been said, is for people that are children of God. You can't take the law of the kingdom and take it out. It cannot work. Yeah. Praise the Lord. answer what my sister said or give my contribution. Like she said, people told her and the society. But as Christians, our yardstick, our everything, whatever we use is the word of God. And what does the word of God say about that? And if you took your vows, you said forsaking others, that includes John, Bill, Musa, and whoever, and that includes every Jane, whatever. So these are vows that you took before God. And you know, yes, we come from societies, and it's not just 
Nigeria is just not, Sierra Leone is just not the U.S. where they think it's okay to have a side check. But that's not what the Word of God says. And since we are governed by the Word of God, we abide by the Word of God. I think one has to address that by what you've been teaching since Sunday. In other words, what is the underlying issue of a parent saying that? I think many times is the fear of the separation, the fear of rejection. I think that's what pushes that. And so once you answer that, that's a fear. And it's something that subtly just wants to control the environment to make sure it's conducive enough that I can just balance just a little. I mean, they, I know my mom went through it. I know she has sleepless nights. And so the only thing she can convey probably would be that because she found a way of coping versus being able to see a, the healing hand of God through that process. Um, it's not a question. Um, what I want to say, yes, I know our parents, it's, I mean, that's even, to them, it's like, it's not an issue, it's normal. Go back to your house and, you know, sort it out. But I think for us as Christians, a spouse is cheating. Where is the place of love? You find out your spouse is unfaithful. Okay? But the Bible also talks about love. I think if we understand the depths of love, I'm not talking agape, God's love. It, it should be able to deal. It must deal with that situation. Now, I'm not saying it's good or it's not good. That's to divorce or whatever. No, that's not the issue. But I'm just saying that if people in such situations can explore the, the power of God's love and forgiveness, because love overcomes. It overcomes. I have seen couples who when you are talking about the spouse, the husband being promiscuous, it's unbelievable. But the wife, you know, standing her ground in Christ, you know, eventually overcoming. So where do you want to put the love of God in this whole situation. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad the type of teaching or conversation we are having. Because uh, the Pentecostal faith have not got, come to uh, rascalism. So people talk of only the blessings of God without the discipline of God. But my question is that most of the Bible verses we have been using today is uh, what God ministered through Apostle Paul. Some 
are direct instruction, some are admonition. So why I'm saying this is that when you wanted to class need, then you talk of needs, a, a, a broad definition as uh, what if is removed, it affects, it leads to death. Then I understand that uh, marriage, marriage itself, is not a need. Apostle Paul, that we 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 are using as Apostle Paul admonished that if he is to advise, he will say, "Let every man be like him." He is not married, so. As far as Apostle Paul is concerned, his number one admonition as the reason for marriage is sex. His number one admonition is saying, let's, uh, let every man be single as his bed to avoid burning. Let every man have his own Wife, then the, the, the seriousness of the the sexual sin and the seriousness of sex in, in, in marriage. Apostle Paul, if if, if we go to First Corinthians seven one to nine or one to eight, you talk of that uh, the 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 issue of prayer and fasting should not be used as excuse to hinder sex. Agreed. That, that, that issue of ag- ag- agreement, that, that is issue of agreement, showing the seriousness of it, that if I say, if, if I, say I, I, I want to fast, I want to go to mountain, and, and my wife said no. We have not ag- agreed. Are we? Are we agree with with, 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 with her? Then if, Apostle Paul. When why Apostle Paul is giving those injunctions? To my own understanding, is to is to avoid any excuse a child of God will give. You see, when we love our, our, our spouse, we have already talked of love. But you see, in area of sex, a man don't have his body. A, a, a man is not in control of his body. A wife is not in control of his body. Um, if if a, a man, out of love, what I mean by out of love, he knows what the situation the wife is in. If a, if a, if a, a man asks the wife for sex and the wife say it is time for, for her to pray, that prayer is not to God. <laughs> so the sound is that I'd like to say that though sex is not a need, in summary of it, sex is not a need. In the same way, marriage is not a need. But if you decide to go into marriage, 
you must be ready for sex. I knew there was going to be a defense for the men. <laughs> That's a good defense, man. I asked you if you remember about two two Wednesdays ago, and asked you whether you were an attorney. <laughs> because you've just proved it. Please, uh, Pastor Tosi. I think I think he answered the question himself, and that is. <laughs> The underlying answer to that is it's not a need and that as long as that desire for that thing is not pushing you to go do something outside the norm. Uh, But once you can bring it under control and the Holy Spirit helps you, I think that's where the point is that Doc is trying to drive at here, that there's no longer an excuse to say because this thing is not met, I have to go out. That it that the things that are need that needs in our life are the things that are essential to life. The air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink, all of those. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs>